On Tuesday the 7th of December, we launched our annual report on education, children's services and skills. Following the publication of the report, we held a panel discussion in front of a live audience to discuss some of the issues over the last year. Obviously, as this was recorded at the beginning of December, the discussion reflects COVID as it was then. We've moved on quite a bit since before Christmas, but I hope you'd enjoyed the discussion all the same. So listen away. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. So good afternoon everyone and welcome to uh, the launch of this year's Ofsted annual report. My name is Chris Jones, I'm Ofsted's Director of Strategy. We've assembled this distinguished panel of guests that you can see at the front uh, and I'll just introduce them before we hear from them. Um, firstly, Jenny Coles, who was uh, until recently was the Director of Children's Services in Hertfordshire, uh, is a former president of the Association of Directors of Children's Services and is currently chair of the What Work Centre for Social Care. Thank you for being with us, Jenny. Next to her is Hardit Beagle, who is the chief exec executive of Woodard Academies Trust. He's also a non-executive director at the Centre for Education and Youth and is a former senior civil servant in the Department for Education. Welcome, Hardit. And from Ofsted, we have Yvette Stanley, who is our National Director for Social Care and Early Years Regulation, and Chris Russell, who is our National Director for Education. Uh, but before I ask them for their, their reflections on the past year, I'm going to ask Her Majesty's Chief Inspector Amanda Spielman just to give us some opening remarks. So over to you, Amanda. Thank you very much, Chris, and welcome, everybody. As Chris said, I'm not going to do a full-on speech. You've had a chance to look at the report and, and read the commentary. We wanted to bring together this, this, a group of interested and interesting people, including all of you, to talk about the report and the, the issues it raises. So just to be very brief to begin with, it has been an extraordinarily difficult year in many ways and for many different groups of people. But I do think that we've asked an extraordinary amount from the youngest people in our society. For much of last year, they had the usual experiences of childhood put on hold in order to protect, in the main, the older members of society. And that most obviously affected their education, but also their care, their social experiences, and the development and growth that we often take for granted as part of growing up. And here, um, I know that everybody will have um, read, thought, been talking over the week, over the weekend, and, and, the, and this week about the the very unfortunate young boy in Solihull who, who won't be growing up. It's um, a tragic reminder of how difficult the job of child protection is. We're now all trying to make sense of the impact of COVID at a time when that impact is still very much being felt. There's tremendous work being done across education and social care, as there has been throughout the pandemic. So we do all owe a debt of gratitude to the teachers, the social workers, the childcare workers, the lecturers, everybody else in education and care who really have put in the hard yards over the last 18 months. As this report does make clear, we do owe this cohort of children and learners something else. We do owe them the best possible chance to fulfill their potential. And to do that, we really do need to understand the year that's gone and work out what needs to be done to make up for lost time. And I think that's all I'm going to say by way of introduction. I'm going to hand back to Chris. Thanks very much, Amanda. So I'm going to ask the panel just for uh, a few uh, opening remarks of, of their own um, reflections on, 
on the past year. And I'm going to start with our, our guests near me. Um, so, Jenny, what's the last year been like for you? Well, um, I think like for all of us, it's been a year of changes, really, and massive challenges, but also seeing a great amount of resilience. And I suppose when you asked me that question, Chris mentioned it yesterday, um, a few things came to mind. First thing was the intense partnership working that happened over the last year. Um, and almost straight away, actually, and I know in so many places, as in Hertfordshire, um, managers and workers came together from across the, uh, the partnership of police, health, voluntary sector, um, and education settings to think about particularly the most vulnerable children and included in that those with special educational needs and disability were a real, real concern. And within that, the importance really came to light of public health and there was an awful lot of talk about adults, quite rightly so, but the role of public health in supporting us all for children, not least helping us um, uh, uh, translate the numerous guidance that came out from the DfE on almost daily basis throughout certainly um, most of the year, and I know that's still needing to continue. But also the ingenuity of frontline workers from everybody, from early years and children's centres, from teachers and in education settings, social workers, family support workers, foster carers who use their whole family to support if they, if they contracted COVID, and residential workers who lived for two or three weeks at a time in children's homes so children could be cared for. The IT rollout was amazing. I have to say that probably what would have taken local authorities to implement took it taking at least a year, we got in a week, and that has continu continued to develop over the year. And I know today, and that's been mentioned in the report, there's been really good um, progress in the use of technology, but that also brings its challenges. And as a recent report by the What Works Centre, looking at the impact of the pandemic on the work of social workers, it very clearly states we need more evidence about the use of technology and where it can add value and where it doesn't add value. And finally, two more things. The basic needs of families, the amount of food that was delivered throughout the pandemic, particularly up until Christmas last year, schools going out and doing visits, carrying food, and, and food vouchers gave us a very timely reminder about family poverty and the challenges that were there before the pandemic and are certainly still with us. And the second thing I want to end with is what young people said, and so many local areas did surveys and talked to young people and for them, the impact of the pandemic, we must, as, as the report says, really show their voice. Because for them, they miss their friends, they miss socialising, they miss seeing their family, they particularly miss going to school. And that was the whole thing about schools and education settings being the hub of the community was really strong through the pandemic and will be and needs to be really strong as we come out of it. And they were also particularly worried about their emotional health and their mental health. So, ending on the voice of the child. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jenny. We'll, we'll no doubt pick up quite a few of those themes as we, as we talk a bit further. Hardip, you've been running your school trust for the, for the, the past uh, year or more. Um, what's been at the forefront of your mind? Well, Chris, I joined uh, Woodard Academies Trust as a CEO 
in April 2020. Yeah, after over 20 years in the civil service, I chose that time to join the multi-academy trust uh, sector. Uh, we're a geographically dispersed trust, so six all through secondary schools um, across the country. Uh, four out of six, which were, requires improvement. But I just want to echo Jenny's tribute to uh, school leaders and staff in terms of all their efforts to uh, serve the needs of young people. In particular, lots of non-teaching staff in our schools who played a tremendous role in making sure that uh, when our schools were open, and remember, they were open all through the pandemic, even though there's talk of national lockdowns, our school stayed open. If anything, they stayed open longer because we put on Easter provision and summer provision, and that's no, uh, and most of that is due to the work of our technical staff, our catering staff, our premises staff, the unsung heroes of the school sector. But I want to be optimistic about uh, what happened over that period uh, of uh, time. The research shows that there is some learning uh, loss, but for our disadvantaged young people, we've had decades of knowing that they're way behind in terms of their uh, progress. So let's not say that the pandemic suddenly has uh, revealed that disadvantaged young people don't do, uh, don't do well. So I want to pay tribute to those uh, young people and their resilience. Um, parents uh, fed back to us that they really welcome the support uh, from schools and on the whole, the remote learning uh, offer that was uh, provided by our schools. And interestingly, in our trust, we found that by summer 2021, so summer just gone, staff engagement levels were higher in our schools than they've ever been in the past. Again, tribute to our teachers and what really motivates them in terms of meeting the needs of uh, our pupils. I think one of the biggest challenges remaining in addition to attainment is attendance in our schools and in common with most schools across the country we are now seeing a group of young people whose attendance is much lower than it should be and that's in addition to young people who have withdrawn uh, from uh, mainstream uh, education so that's something hopefully we can pick up uh, as we uh, move forward but I think there's many reasons to be optimistic uh, two of our schools uh, have had inspections uh, this term and uh, both of them uh, became good uh, during those inspections because they invested the time and effort into making sure they carried on uh, meeting the needs of young people and improving the quality of education. Thank you, Hardip. And I promise we didn't know that when we invited, uh, we invited Hardip to, to be on this panel. Um, <laughs> um, Yvette, I'll come to you next for your, your reflections. Uh, thank you, Chris. Um, I just really echoing um, what Jenny and Hardip said. Um, as, as, as you know from our report, we continued with our regulatory work in early years and social care, registering provision, and across all remits, visited provision when there were safeguarding concerns. Uh, and we also had a great number of our staff out there working the front line. It, it made us very humble, and both of those pieces of work um, meant that we, we, we heard what was going on on the ground, and I think that, that vigilance across education and care, um, doing their best for vulnerable children, that's always dynamic, isn't it? Risk changes for children, um, and they um, responded well 
to those children where we already knew there was a risk. The, the challenge, I think, and it comes out clearly in our report and a number of, of comments that HMCI has said over the last years, is that for good reason, retreat from the health service to that from universal children's services to support um, the COVID response. I meant the children with SEND, children with pre-existing mental health conditions, um, and families lost valuable therapies and respite services. Uh, some looked after children, did exceptionally well. Jenny mentioned um, foster carers and care workers, uh, wrapping services around children, making sure that they continued with their education, supporting them in, in managing the frustration of lockdown rules. We, we saw all of that, but some children uh, lost, uh, lost valuable contact with, say, their siblings. They re felt really challenged. Um, in, in very difficult times. So a lot of our report will talk about the vulnerable children because our eyes were very much on them and they are going forward, um, particularly in the context that we're all working for today. I think the other thing I would like to say is that the situation was never stable, was it? It was hugely dynamic. And depending on when we were visiting, we saw people at very different ages and stages in terms of the process ever adapting to the different requirements of PPE. There were real issues in the children's care sector getting access to it even in the first stages of this. Um, so, you know, in the worst of times, it brings out the heroic, but we also um, had to speak out about some very challenging circumstances, particularly children in secure training centers who were very, very restricted um, in these most difficult times. So. Uh, uh, obviously some learning going forward. I'm sure that colleagues will adapt their practice. Um, uh, a myth, social workers were not sitting in the office or at home. They were visiting children um, throughout those at high risk. Uh, a lot of virtual work to add to the contact with perhaps looked after children and care leavers. Um, but absolutely that line of sight um, if, if we didn't know it before, we absolutely endorse it again today. That line of sight is absolutely essential and uh, the virtual enhances, it doesn't replace the human contact and human relationships. Thanks very much, Yvette. Now, Chris, you've got the unenviable task of going last on a, <laughs> on a panel like this. So, is there anything you'd like to add to, uh, to what your colleagues have said? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'll be uh, repeating in part, really, but I mean, two things particularly for me really um, I mean it certainly made us all realize I think the importance of our normal provision and we now realize 18 months plus later how much we took it for granted um, and I think you know of course from, from speaking as the National Director of Education of course that's the educational part of that in all its manifestations really in the, you know in the impact that we've seen on that in terms of that breadth around the drama and music and the PE that all got hit through this time, but also that kind of protective effect as well. We really see the impact of that, don't we, I think, in terms of physical fitness, but also mental health, our not having that kind of normality and that normal provision has had such a profound effect on, on many young people. Um, because, you know, we've, we, others have talked in the panel about the limitations of virtual and it's, and it's probably only coming back to things like this, isn't it, that, that has made us realize actually the richness of the face-to-face. -face. Um, and while people work tirelessly to set up remote learning, really from pretty much nowhere in many cases, um, my daughter 
uh, as we went into lockdown, was a, a, uh, in her second year of teaching, teaching year four. And she left me in no doubt at all about the limitations of remote learning. I have to tell you that. So, um, you know, it's not the same, and we've all recognized that very much. And we've also recognized that, you know, I think that some groups have been affected more than others. Some individuals have been affected more than others. When we bring out in the report the particular impact on pupils with SEND, for example, prisoners, apprentices, um, so, you know, some groups, some individuals have had a particular impact there. But I mean, certainly what's, what we've also seen, and we've very much seen through our work over the past year, is been the commitment and the creativity of, of education and care professionals, really. Um, coming in as an inspector, you, you, we all come from the, you know, the, the fields that we inspect. We've all experienced it, but I think, I think Yvette talked about humility, and I think we've all felt a humility there, really. Uh, with people facing with that creativity and that commitment and that resilience uh, unprecedented challenges that nobody expected to, to, to meet um, and it's good to see that you know people have faced those so positively I mean I always remember right back when we started interim visits since last September going out on one of those um, and seeing a school that had done really well and had coped really well uh, and even at that stage, we're seeing the positives about changes that they'd made. And I think that's real, a real tribute to people's creativity. Um, but also to end on that, and, and good to hear Hardeep's um, inspection outcomes. And it's been good for us, I think, going back to routine inspection this term to see, you know, typically those very positive outcomes and, and actually seeing um, the progress that people have been able to make despite those considerable challenges during the pandemic. Thanks, Chris. You talked a bit about, all the panel talked a bit about the kind of importance of uh, the, the, the incredible hard work of, of professionals uh, and, and support staff um, over, the last, over the last year. I just want to expand on, on that a bit. Hardip, your, your staff, you, know, you, you mentioned setting up remote learning, setting up holiday provision. What, what were the biggest challenges? I think that uh, one of the biggest challenges, obviously, was something that we all faced about the unknown nature uh, of the pandemic and the quick changes for every person that said I want one sentence of guidance and no more there was another person who said what do you mean how am I supposed to work with one sentence I need at least 10 pages of it so I've got a lot of sympathy for uh, my former uh, colleagues in government in trying to meet uh, that wide range of uh, views I mean I joined uh, a uh, school leaders union and I see from the inside the tensions between different uh, factions on there and I think that um, uh, trying to comply but use your own judgment during that uh, period I think was uh, one of the uh, biggest uh, challenges um, but also I think that as a sector the vast majority of people who don't speak out uh, just get on uh, with it and they do their best uh, and often a lot of the people speaking about these issues aren't representative of the day-to-day -day, uh, staff that I know to get on and uh, um, uh, do what they're in the profession for, which is to uh, meet the needs of young people. Yeah, thanks, Harvey. Um, Amanda, I wonder, if, I wonder if you want to pick up on, on any of these themes as, uh, around, uh, around the hard work of professionals as well, because I know you, you, know, you try and visit as many uh, as many uh, schools and other providers as you can. What have you seen when you've been out and about recently? Um, the effort that's gone in um, really does shine through. And it's, 
it's often interesting to see how much people want to talk about what they've done. Um, I find it really interesting listening to, pe um, to, 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 to pe people talk about how they've approached it and getting reassurance, I think, from the act of, ta of talking through. Because I think what's happened is so many people have had to make so many more decisions than usual in very unfamiliar space. It's been a bit like putting every leader in the country back in day one of their jobs without anybody more experienced around to show them the ropes. And that, that's an enormous strain on people. I, th I think acknowledging the strain this has been for, for, for so many is, is, is really important. Um, I mean, I do just want to, to temper Hardip's optimism just a fraction. Um, I'm, I am also optimistic. I think most children are resilient, and I think we're seeing some encouraging signs that, that, that the average is moving quite quickly in the right direction. I think, we, I think we can see from a number of directions that the spread has widened considerably relative to pre-COVID levels. So we do have more children who are, who are well behind where we would want them to be on all fronts. And I think that's going to be, going to be a real challenge, which I'm confident that, that, that education and care can address well. Um, but I don't want to be too Pollyanna-ish about it. What, but I do want this message of optimism that most children um, will do well. Um, so it's, there are people who, who are promulgating absolute doom and gloom and extrapolating hundreds of years or thousands of years to, to, um, to get back. I don't see it that way, but I am hoping for, for some realism and for a very sort of focused approach to, to recognizing um, who needs help, who, who is actually going to be fine with the core experience of school, of care, um, once you've, once you've got the normal lessons, the extracurricular activities, the sport, the social life, the good adult relationships, most will respond to that, but who is it who, need, who needs more and making sure that's really well marshaled. It's, it is a big challenge, but I know people will rise to it. And, and Jenny, on the, uh, on the local authority side, um, what's been the biggest challenge for the, the social workers and their colleagues? I think I'd just like to pick up on the line of sight, really, because although um, workers really rallied and thought of those creative ways, they only, what, what workers said to me is, we only know what we know. Where we know families and we've built that relationship, we can, we can hopefully navigate our way through and bring in, bring in support. But when we don't know, and they were really worried that universal services in that first six months had to be, cut back and redeployed and they and that really worried people because families didn't have access to those everyday health services all the time you know immunizations had to be caught up just those services where they could talk if they were having some challenges and um, you know and and that is you know is still a worry um, and it's really important that you know we wrap around those services, whether it's in early years or whether it's around schools, so families have access to support or their extended family do, to um, to ask for help when they need it in a timely way early on. Really, Amanda. Yes, um, just to add to that, the the line of sight point is really important and um, something we were pressing on through last year. And when you think about it. Um, so much of child protection relies on having children who, who we know or who may be at risk in a, in a lot of people's line of sight from different directions, um, from all the different universal services as, as, as well as um, social services and others when, when, when needed. And lockdown was a policy that was absolutely explicitly designed 
to minimize the number of people who each of us, including every child, saw. So there's, there's a direct conflict in there that I hope will really be considered if, and I hope we don't, but if we ever do need to contemplate um, any, any kinds of restrictions like last year again. And Amanda, picking up on that, um, this time last year, the, uh, uh, your annual report, uh, you, you, you spoke about uh, the, the, uh, the importance of, of schools in the, in the community mm -hmm. and the, the, the services that we now kind of expect schools to, mm -hmm. to provide. And you, know, you, you questioned kind of have we, have, we set up, have we set up the system to reflect mm -hmm. that, that, that new reality. Um, I wonder if you know, your thinking on, on the importance of, of schools um, as a community hub has, has evolved even further over the last year. I think it's absolutely been reinforced. We, and we made this point, point last year. I think it's, it's reminded us all how, how incredibly important nurseries, schools, colleges um, are as institutions that, that anchor communities and, and, and give, me, give meaning to them. Um, they've shown great breadth and flexibility. Um, I still think it is very important that we don't overload them in the long term. Um, what's important is, is to have the right pieces and each one playing its part. Um, we know that there is a sort of constant pressure to load more, more functions into education and um, we, 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 we have on a number of occasions pushed back and said Let, let's make sure that, that schools, schools job and their core job is, is really manageable and be, be sparing with the extra things we load on in perpetuity. So notwithstanding um, that the, the admirable way that schools have stepped into some, some, some of the breaches. Um, I hope it won't be necessary for them to take such broad roles in the longer term. Uh, some, of the, uh, some of the biggest challenges that we highlighted in this year's annual report um, and have done over the year around children with special educational needs and disabilities um, have particularly hardly hit, hard, uh, hard hit by, by the services being with, withdrawn for, for kind of necessary public health reasons. Um, Yvette, do you want to talk in a bit more detail about what we've seen uh, in our various inspections of SEND? Um, I, I'll start and perhaps Chris will come in and we, we cover the universal and the very specialist between us. I think um, uh, we, we saw um, uh, children at the most complex end having challenges getting into schools because of the health support that some of them need to, to function in that school environment and also perhaps kept at home because of parental worries about their own health. Um, uh, disabled children's holiday schemes weren't able to run. I mean, it's a statement of the blooming obvious, but um, for families needing that welcome respite, it was a massive hit. And, we, and, and the isolation that is often experienced by the parents of children with disabilities and SEN was enhanced. So it's one of those things we were all in the same storm, but the boats are different, and this particular group fared particularly um, poorly. Chris, do you want to go on to the more broader end? Yeah, I mean, just to, I mean, perhaps just to talk a little bit about, um, about special schools particularly uh, at this point. I mean, we, uh, you know, obviously, uh, as I sort of mentioned at the beginning, you know, in the report, pupils with SENDs is certainly a group that we've seen that have been particularly affected by the pandemic and and we saw that in our special school work and the work that we did there the visits that we did there uh, and clearly some of the things you touched on the particular challenges um, around uh, multi-agency services and the disruption to that there were particular travel challenges there as well in many cases and we did see a strong impact and of course then even when 
the young people were in school impact on the curriculum and the diversity of experiences for those young people often wasn't anywhere near the same. Um, but we also saw, you know, many, many doing a really good job. I mean, we give an example in the annual report around attendance because clearly that was such an issue for many of those young people and actually the power of expectation. And we, we give an example of, of one special school that, you know, basically said it has to be 90%, our aspiration is 90% uh, attendance. And, and they worked with parents and, and were able to sort of overcome some of those barriers and those understandable concerns that people had to actually get you know, really high attendance there. And I think there was you know, a good example there of what can be done even you know, with that creativity, even with the particular challenges that people did face there. Um, I mean, so in terms of our area SEND work, I mean, we did um, a mixture of interim visits as we did in other areas um, and our more kind of normal inspection work towards the end of the year. I think what the interim visits did, which you know, I think did well actually across our remits, was give us a real picture of the challenges that we, people were facing at that point, particularly um, in, the, in the autumn. Um, and we, you know, we, did, we did some of our inspection work and you know, as, as we found all the way through there really, you know, we, you know, we did find in a number of cases that we needed to give a written statement of action because there were particular things that the local area needed to work on. Thanks Chris, hard up you're the uh, optimist uh, on, the, on the panel and you said, you said to me yesterday you felt we were a bit, a bit too down in the dumps in, in this area. I mean I think that um, it's not so much down in the dumps but there have been a lot of problems in uh, education for long periods of time and I think it's the uh, laying at the door of the pandemic some systemic problems which have been there. Parents of children with SEN for a long period of time have not been uh, well served and to say that it's to do with the pandemic I think is to do a disservice to uh, or let off the hook people who need to sort out some of the systemic uh, problems. But I do want to echo Chris's points on uh, special schools because I think they are different than the uh, uh, SEN services provided by uh, local authorities. I'm a member of the Eden Academy uh, Trust as well and a former trustee of that. And yes, sorry to go back to surveys. One of our schools surveyed uh, parents. They were overwhelmingly positive about the support that that special school had provided and knew the circumstances of why uh, uh, young people weren't safe to come into, uh, come into those uh, schools. So I think the picture is varied. And just using the term SEN, I think encompasses a whole range of provision, including excellent special schools and excellent multi-academy trusts, through to some, you know, quite frankly, appalling levels of uh, SEN uh, services and experiences in the system. And Harley, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the challenges of, of attendance, and, and Chris, you mentioned attendance as well. Obviously, there's the challenges through the, the period of the pandemic, but also as we you know, as we, we try and get uh, pupils back into school. Um, what in particular do you want to pick up uh, on attendance? Well, I think your uh, report uh, picks up uh, one really important. Uh, issue again, another systemic issue that's been with us for a long period of time about uh, withdrawing young people from uh, school to electively home educate them. There's lots of excellent uh, home educators out there, but what has prompted the reasons why parents are withdrawing it? And I don't think it's for uh, the reason of providing them with a suddenly excellent education at home. There are other factors in relation to that and do we have the services to be able to persuade those parents that actually uh, education in a 
educational setting with expert teachers would be in the best interests of, the, of young people. But I think there are a group of young people now who have much more serious needs, whether they're mental health needs, uh, whether it's anxiety, whether that's parental anxiety rather than anxiety to do with the uh, pupil themselves, which do need to be addressed. And I think you can't let them just carry on because they will get more and more entrenched. So as we go through this term, can't just sit there looking at the numbers because each week, uh, each month that goes by, it's less and less likely their attendance will, uh, will improve. And therefore, I think we do need to have stronger intervention uh, now on this, uh, on this issue. And I was glad that Ofsted picked it up in our inspections about the higher levels of persistent absence for our disadvantaged uh, children. So we need to do better on that front. And Jenny, this uh, issue of elective home education must be something that uh, your colleagues in local government are, are thinking hard about. Absolutely, and not before the pandemic as well. This has been a year-on-year -year increase, probably for the last five or six years. Um, the Association of Directors do an annual survey. Um, I can see Gail nodding there. Um, yet again this year, we've seen actually quite a big increase, which we were predicting because of the pandemic. But this is something that's been there before. And, um, you know, a chance to mention um, having a national register. Um, if, if you're going to give your child a good education, then why wouldn't you register with the local authority? I mean, that, that will need to bring resources with it. But we're now at numbers where we need to really consider that. Yeah. Amanda, that's, very that's, important. that's something that you've spoken about before. Um, I think I've talked about that in nearly every interview I've done today. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, anything to pick up on, on that? Oh, sorry. Apologies. Yeah, I mean, just to build on, the, you know, the, the point about attendance, really. I mean, it's obviously it's, all, it's always been critical that, that, you know, children and young people are attending uh, and never more so given the, you know, the disruption that they've, they've had re there, really. And of course, schools and other providers have always worked, had to work hard to ensure the best attendance. Um, and even more so, of course, now. But I mean, I think those principles of how you achieve that remain the same, just really more important about having the expectations, communicating them, um, working with parents where there are barriers, getting underneath the reasons, looking at your data, analyzing the data. Um, and I think where we've, we've seen that, um, then we've seen that, that impact. But of course, it has been more challenging than it was before, and those things have been more important than they were before. And of course, the whole code, the COVID experience has created a bit of a cloud around all of that, hasn't it? Where there is a danger that some young people get lost to that um, and drop out of the system and don't attend anywhere near as much as they should. Now, I, w I want to talk a bit about um, an element of Ofsted's work that is perhaps is less well known than our, our work in education, and particularly our work in schools. Um, and that's, we spend quite a lot of time in the report and have done over several reports uh, talking about children's homes. Um, and, and the, the, the lack of accommodation for, for children who, 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 need a, um, who need a home like that. Um, Yvette, tell us a bit more um, about the challenges with children's homes around the country. Um, well, we have the highest um, care population um, that we've ever had, and we have more adolescents coming into the care system with um, a, a broad range of more complex needs. Um, including issues um, like mental health, um, including issues like uh, county lines, sexual exploitation. 
So we've seen a, a sevenfold increase in the numbers of children where local authorities are going to the high court, to the court of inherent jurisdiction, because these children need welfare secure provision. And there just isn't enough for these children. And so the court is, is, is agreeing that that threshold is met. Um, but local authorities just can't find any provision to meet those needs. And then if you look beneath that at the broader range of children's homes, um, there just isn't enough provision in the right places in the country. So a quarter of the children's homes are up in the northwest and in, in parts of the Midlands. And, 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 and you know, in London, you've got to go 160 miles to find a secure bed. The, these are issues that have been there for some time. And, and, and Amanda's talked about some of the issues behind that, possibly capital build, et cetera, and the costs of, of, of that. But we really need um, uh, some planning across youth justice. Good policy is bringing children out of the criminal justice system. Good policy in health is bringing children out of the mental health inpatient system. But that knitting together of a strategy, um, local, regional, and national, to make sure that we've got the provision map for those children is, is something we've been talking about for some time. Really pleased that there's some capital in the pot to, to help with some of that. I'm really looking forward to the care review, um, thinking very carefully about how that knitting happens to get the right provision in the right place, meeting those children's needs. And Jenny, Yvette talked about you know, the increasing numbers of children who, who, who need care and who need these, these services um, at, at a kind of national level. What does that look like at a local level? What are the challenges of, of dealing with increasing numbers of children in that position? I mean, this was a real challenge before the pandemic, so, um, and it might have been exacerbated, but it was certainly there. And over the last five or six years, the needs of children and young people in care has been changing and have become more complex. And therefore, the homes, if we are taking them into care, that we provide for them, need to be able to, um, to, to wrap around them and having different funding streams for mental health, for social care, um, for education, for all those things doesn't help. And, you know, I've said this when I was president, that it really needs a cross-departmental response at a national level at, and at a local level. We need to be meeting the whole needs of the child, not just parts of it. And, um, you know, VET talks about extra capital and so forth, but if the right home was provided at the right time with the right support, we may well not need as many residential homes. Um, so we, I'm hoping the care review really looks at what children's need, children need as opposed to fitting them into buildings. Um, and I think there's been a very strong message from young people as well. I'm not saying that's easy, um, but it's really fundamental if we're going to improve outcomes for children in care. Great, and let's hope that this time next year we can be talking about some solutions rather than just restating the, the problems again. I'm going to kind of finish off the discussion with kind of looking forward to the next year. Let's try and be a bit more positive uh, about what 2022 might, uh, might entail and what, we're, what, we want, uh, what we want to get out of, of 2022. So I'm going to go along, along the panel again. I'll go in reverse order just to be, just to be fair. Uh, so Chris, what are you hoping for for the next year? I'm sure I'm hoping mainly for what everybody else is, which is more of that normality. I mean, I spoke at the beginning about us taking that for granted. I'm not sure we do anymore, really. And, and what we all hope for, we all recognize the ongoing challenges that, that um, professionals have been facing in education and care. 
um, uh, both in terms of dealing with the current situation and, of course, dealing with the, the legacy of the past 18 months. So I think more than anything else, we absolutely hope for that normality and the restorative impact of that normality. Um, you know, Amanda spoke, uh, you know, about that earlier, really, and I think, you know, the, the resilience of young people. Um, and I think that gives us some, some optimism there, but it does need as much normality as possible. Uh, Despite the fact that, as we know, people have, as I said earlier, people have been incredibly creative um, in actually dealing with the challenges that they do face. Um, you know, I think we really hope, hope for that. What, one thing that I, I would just add to that, really, um, is that what we've certainly seen in terms of remote learning and in terms of um, as children and young people return to school and and, uh, and college and people got underneath and other providers and got underneath trying to remedy some of those gaps in knowledge and, and understanding was that the more people really understand the curriculum um, and can use that and can get underneath the gaps that exist and, and work out what the key knowledge and understanding is that's been missed, the more people understand that, the more successful they were in those areas. So I think, you know, hopefully there's been a lot of learning in the system through that process which will support that going forward too, um, so that there are some elements of positive legacy there uh, in that area. Thanks very much, Chris. Yvette? Um, uh, talking about that positive work across local partnerships, um, I hope that's built upon. Um, the child protection system needs everybody to play their part and to understand each other's contribution, so I hope that's built upon. I think our... Um, uh, early back to graded local authority inspection. I, I take my hat off to those places that have managed to improve, and I know it's happening in the school space too, uh, despite the extra burdens of COVID. Um, the, the, over 50% of local authorities have improved in their graded inspection as we moved from the previous regime to ILACs. So I hope we build on that. Um, we did see early years providers and children's homes coming forward to register. Um, in fact, some did some spectacular work in early years. We haven't mentioned early years much. Um, providing um, childcare for hospitals, that was a, one of the really heroic things that, that, that we should put on record, our thanks to them for doing. So I'm hoping that good people to continue to come forward. I think there's more we can do to support the care workforce in terms of um, its training, support and pay. I think there are issues still to address with that. But I'm, but I'm optimistic. Um, in terms of what I'm seeing with people um, getting back, hunkering down, and making sure that they're doing the best for children. Thanks, Yvette. Harder? Been, having been positive through uh, out, uh, all of uh, this, I hope we don't go back to normality. There are some major challenges facing the education system in this country. Uh, Jenny mentioned poverty for young people, low expectations, insufficient attainment. So I hope we don't go back to normal, but use this opportunity to say, isn't it time that we bring people together to try and solve some of these entrenched problems that have existed pre-COVID, and that we give education the attention that health has had over the last period, and some of the funding that health has had to try and tackle some of these problems. And I do echo uh, Amanda's point. Schools have stepped up over the period but I don't think it's a long-term sustainable solution if you want the best people to go into teaching and learning uh, in schools to lay at their door all of the problems that uh, young people in society uh, face.
Thank you, Harbit. Jenny? Well, we've got two big reviews, the Care Review and the SEN Review. I really hope they report over the coming year. And I also really look forward to continuing to build that evidence base of what works for children. And all of us keep that focus on children nationally and locally. Thanks, Jenny. And Amanda, in a career-limiting move, I've given you the challenge of going last. Thank you. I'll echo much of what everybody said, but that, that return to normality, which I think will release everybody in education, social work, social care, um, to, be, to do the jobs they came to do, not to be COVID managers anymore. And I think releasing that capacity will, will energise them and bring them afresh to the problems that, the kinds of problem that Hardip's, Hardip's talked about, I've talked about, and with, with the energy and capacity to focus on the things they want to be focusing on. So that's what I hope to be talking about this time next year. Thanks, Amanda. Well, thank you all very much for making the trip. Thank you to our panel and particularly our guests.